<laughs> Clearly, I am not Raphael. He will be speaking in the second portion of our message. Um, but yeah, I am the strategic operations pastor here at Voice, and I'm super excited to be here with you guys. And like Natalie says, this is my first message, so be gracious with me, please, because I am so nervous, excited and nervous all at the same time. <laughs> um, so yeah, like Taka said, this we're going to go into summer mixtape. We have some really good speakers coming out for the month of July, and we're so excited to have them here. Some familiar faces and some new faces. So come throughout July and hear what God is speaking to them and going to be sharing through them to our church. Um, going back to the 30-second question, was anyone surprised by their meaning of their name? All right. How many people didn't know the meaning of their name? All right, quite a few. Would anyone like to share the meaning of their name? Oh, nice one. I feel like it's fitting for Evan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. So my name is actually Kathleen, and my middle name is Bridget. My name means pure, and my middle name means power and virtue. So I'm thankful that my parents were nice enough to give me a good name with a good meaning, because not all of us are very fortunate to have that. So, um, and that was very important for us when we were naming our daughter. We didn't want her to give her a name that people could make fun of or, like, give her a weird nickname, and then she would have to carry that along with her because it's been hard. My name is actually Kathleen, but Kathy is, got stuck with me, and it's just followed me all the way through my life, and there's only a few people that actually call me by my name, so thank you. Um, but yeah, we had a really hard time naming our daughter because my husband already had a long list of no-goes for names because he's a teacher and had a list of names that students that were like, nope, this person is this, this person is that. So there was a lot of no's when we were coming up with her name. So her name is actually Brooklyn Brielle. Her name means water or small stream, and her middle name means God is my strength. So I love the meaning behind her middle name, God is my strength, and I really hope that she's able to carry that with her throughout her journey and walk with God to know that God is her strength. And then it was super important for us to give her a good name because we know that words have power. Words give things meaning, and they give us meaning. So that was super important for us. So we're going to be going into Genesis 25, verse 23. And we're going to be talking about a set of twins. And for those of you who don't know, Jacob and Esau were descendants of Abraham and Sarah. And if you don't, a little backstory of them, Abraham and Sarah could not bear children for a very long time. But finally, God blessed them in a very old age, and they had Isaac. And Isaac and Rebekah are the parents of Jacob and Esau. So it says in verse 23, And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will be two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. Again, and your older son will serve your younger son. And back in that time, that was a huge statement to say because usually in that culture, the very firstborn was, ended up being the leader and the one that got the biggest blessing once the father passed away. So this was telling them the complete opposite. The younger son was going to rule over the older son. And that older son was Jacob. 
And Jacob throughout his life made a lot of mistakes. His name actually means he who supplants and takes forcibly. And God had already told him before he was even born that he was going to be rule over his brother. But throughout his life, we saw him take matters into his own hands. And he essentially didn't trust God to give him what he had promised him. So we see that with his brother Esau. His brother Esau had been out in the, in the field. He had come in. He was really hungry, famished from being out in the, in the fields. And he comes and approaches his brother saying, I need a meal. I am in desperate need. And, his, and Jacob took full advantage of his brother and stole his birthright. And just a question for you guys. Has there been a time in your lives where God has given you a promise and you try to take it upon yourself to make it happen? So again, this culture, the firstborn, had the best and most and became the leader once the father passed away and would receive a double portion of the blessing and became the family elder. We see this in Genesis 27, verses 2 to 13. So his father Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like to bring it, that I like and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening and as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left to the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. So we see Esau go out and do as his father told him, but we also see Jacob and his mother come up with a plan to deceive the father so then Jacob, the younger son, would receive that blessing. And Rebecca already knew that God had spoken a blessing over her son Jacob. So she insisted that he follow through with this plan to deceive the father. Verse 11 says, Jacob said to Rebecca, but my mother, but my brother is Esau, is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So we can see here that Jacob is a little hesitant to follow through with this plan with his mother. But his mother encourages, let's do this. I will take on anything that comes if this goes wrong. So then in Genesis 27, verses 14 to 27, we see Jacob prepare the meal, get everything ready, come to his father and say, Father, here's my meal. I have prepared this room all while disguising himself as his brother Esau. So verse 24 says, but are you really my son Esau, he asked. Again, he has this part where he's able to just be like, no, this is not right. I will walk away from this. But he replies, yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me my wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced that he was 
and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So Jacob, the name who means he who supplants, also now carries deceiver and liar attached to his name. He started walking his own plan, not the plan that God had for him, but he was wanting to take matters into his own hands. So later Esau comes to his father bringing the meal that he had prepared for him, not knowing what just happened. And then they figure out they've been deceived. The father gave every blessing that he had in his hands to Jacob instead of Esau because Jacob deceived them. So Jacob was forced to run away from his home where he was loved by his mother so greatly. And he had to run away or else his brother was going to kill him. So Jacob stole his brother's birthright, deceived his father, lied to him. He cooked like his brother, dressed like him, he smelled like him, and now he lost his family. He was forced to run away from everything he had known. Clearly, this is not what God had planned for him and not the way he had meant for it to happen. But Jacob got in the way because of Jacob's failure to trust God. And he ran away. But God still showed up to him, and in a dream he told him in Genesis 28, verse 15, I am with you, and I will watch over wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And this is sometimes how, how God gives us a promise, and God is just waiting for us. He's not in a rush. He's letting us do our free will. But again, God reminds Jacob, I promised you this, and I will fulfill it. So God is ready to fulfill the promise in your life, in my life, but he's just ready for us to be ready. And I know the hard part is that we only see a very slight portion of that promise that God gave us, and it takes us to trust God in that process. And there's been many times that I feel like God has promised me things and has, I know God has a calling in my life, but I know that I have stood in the way many times and not allowed God to do what he wants to do in my life. Like I said, this is my first time speaking and Taka and Natalie have been super gracious with me because a lot of the times I have stood in the way of what God wants to do in my life, but they are, have been amazing and just encouraged me, pushed me, gave me the extra push to even be here on this stage speaking to you guys, this message that I felt like God placed in my heart. But I just encourage you to trust God in the process. And it took Jacob 20 years to come back home because if any of you have ever had a falling out with a family member or a really bad disagreement with someone, you know the tension, you know the awkwardness to come back and say, I messed up, this was not okay. And this was Jacob, really didn't know how things would go on his way back home, how his brother would receive him. He was scared and feared for his life, feared for those who he loved because he was not coming back alone. He came back with his family, all the possessions he had gained throughout the 20 years he had been gone. So we see here in Genesis 32, verses 20 to 21, Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending him gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. 
In Genesis 32, 22-28, it says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. He was starting to protect everything, getting ready that his brother was not going to receive him in a, way, in a good way. And has there been a time in your life where you have felt like Jacob did at this very exact moment? Scared? Afraid? Alone? Worried to be rejected by those who you love? So Jacob left. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not be winning the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. And this was a very crucial moment for Jacob. He was saying, I am desperate. God, I need you at this very moment. I am done with my agenda. I am done doing things my way, and I need you. So then he says, the man said, let go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. Verse 27, what is your name? And God wasn't asking him his name literally. He was asking him, what are you known for? What do people say about you? Who do people say you are? He replied, Jacob. He was admitting he knew he had baggage, and he knew he had a lot of things attached to him. Deceiver, liar, his name meaning supplanter. He had lived up to the label that others had put on him, and he had put on himself. But the Lord said in verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. This name change was an indication that his past was no longer going to be his future. Thank you. Um, Israel meaning let God prevail. Let God prevail. And that's a lot of us today. We need to let God prevail in our lives. He was done doing things his way. He wanted to allow God to be greater in his life. This was telling him that he was no longer going to be called deceiver, liar, or anything negative that was attached to him throughout his life. Now he was going to be defined by what he was going to do moving forward. When, the beautiful thing is that when we accept God into our lives, we are proclaiming that we are going to allow God to become more important and greater in our lives than anything else. Has God given you a new name? Are you walking in your new name? Jacob was flawed, as we can see all throughout the scripture, but was faithful to carry the promise God had given Isaac and Abraham. God doesn't forsake us. He doesn't forget the promise that he gives us. So I want you to stop believing the lies and the stuff that the world has attached to you or even yourself have attached to yourself. Allow God to be stronger, greater, and bigger than anything standing in your way whether that be your fear, insecurity, or your old name. For me, I know this has been a journey for me to do this exact thing. And it doesn't come easy, and it's hard for us not to see ourselves the way the world may view us. Because for me, that's been very difficult. Has that... <laughs> I always cry when I come up here. <laughs> As I was preparing for this message, I was like, 
I think it was on Wednesday, I was like, nope, this is not meant for me to share. And I was like, this is just not my message. I'm not going to come up here and preach it. This is just not for me. And the more I, I spoke to Raphael, and the more I prepared, I knew that wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't it. I was meant to share this. Can we just give my wife a voice <laughs> applause here? <laughs> Man, hold on, give me a sec. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's um oh. I'm not gonna do a whole long thing here because I do got a message to preach, but uh, you know, for those that are parents here or for those that are spouses or you have someone who you love and who's gonna do something that means a lot to them, I was probably way more nervous sitting down, just watching her go through the process. So I'm just proud of you. Uh, we could talk about this later. But um, look, I'm going to quickly introduce this because initially I was going to introduce the message about my name. And so just a PSA here. Who? Well, before we go there, who hates nicknames? Anybody? No one. Everyone loves nicknames. Okay, there's several of you. If you grew up in a Mexican household, your nickname was not a positive one right? You know, if you grew up in a Mexican household and you were a little fluffy, you know, they add the ITO, gordito, to your name. Or if you were too thin, you were flaquita or flaquito. And so growing up, my mom refused to let anyone give us nicknames. And so growing up, my name was super simple. It was Rafael, Rafael, or Rafa. And can I just encourage you, voice, because this church has a horrible habit of shortening people's names. That my name is Raphael, <laughs> Raphael, and Rafa. Not Ralph, not Ralphie, not Raph, Raphael, <laughs> Raphael, or Rafa. And honestly, for the most part, you know, it's power, have meaning, just like my wife said. You know, we truly believe that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that when I named my daughter Brooklyn Brielle, there was a very specific reason why we did it. So it's not Brookie, it's not Brooks. It's Brooklyn. It's not BB. It's Brooklyn Brielle. And we were very adamant because, honestly, every time we wanted to cut Brooklyn over, we were speaking her name out. When we said Brielle, we were speaking the idea that God is going to be her strength. And so for me, it was very, 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 uh, <laughs> I was very particular about it. Now, last thing I'm going to say, any teachers here? Teachers? Is there a name that you don't mind sharing out loud that you refuse to name your kid if you were to have one? Anyone? I sure mine. <laughs> so do I. This is why I'm asking this. What's your top one? He's thinking, mine was Emily. Lord have mercy. I remember my wife looked at my list. And she goes, oh, Emily's going to be sweet. Mm. I will forever not <laughs> name a child Emily. You got one? We're passing it? Michael. Any Michaels in here? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I will love to share stories because there's, I have a few in there that, you know, if we were to have more kids, I'm just going to, I just can't. Because forever, my niece is Emily, and yes, I think of my niece Emily, but more often than I want to hear the name Emily, I don't think of my niece. That's not the first person that comes up. But all right, today I'm going to be talking about a name change as well. 
Now, in Jacob to Israel, it was more or less the idea that Jacob was the deceiver, he was a liar, he was a lot of negative things. And when he had this divine encounter with the Lord, it changed to Israel. And it's, it, uh, there's a parallel to what I'm going to be talking about. Now, for me, I'm going to be talking about Simon becoming Peter. Now, I'm going to take you guys almost sort of to the beginning where, you know, before I go there, Simon means one who listens well. And I think if you have been in church for a while, you will know that Simon was one of Jesus' closest friends. And he was someone who listened to Jesus quite well throughout Scripture. But then his name was changed into Peter, which means rock, and we will get into what that means in just a second. But if we go back to John chapter 1, verse 36, it says this, look, there is the Lamb of God. And I don't think we understand the, the profoundness of this particular verse because this is John the Baptist speaking. And he was, you know, your, your prototypical preacher who will be, t- who was talking about the coming of Jesus, who was talking about the one day, the Emmanuel, the God that will be with us, that will be talking about the Jesus will be coming into, will be coming into this world and be our hope and our savior. He was just talking about Jesus when suddenly Jesus literally walks by and he goes, Hey, you know the guy that we've been waiting for? The guy that, that was promised to us, he is literally walking by us. So in verse 37, the Bible says that a couple of John the Baptist disciples left, and we get to verse 40, and it says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now verse 42, then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and then Jesus, looking attentively at Simon, he said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, can we be a little bit like Andrew today, Voice Church? I love this picture because I have read this scripture over and over and over again, and I have overlooked the importance of Andrew here. Andrew was so darn excited that he had found the Messiah He was so darn excited that he had found the Jesus, the one that was promised to them, the one that they grew up waiting on. And he finally saw Jesus. And the first thing he did was go talk to his brother about it. I don't know how many of us, and this is a challenge to you. I don't know how many of us, or when was the last time we were so excited to talk about Jesus that that conversation led to salvation? Now, let me put that into perspective because we don't often talk about heaven and hell in that particular, in that particular vernacular, but we truly believe that if you confess your sins and you walk to the best of your ability, an authentic walk that represents the calling that God has over your life, and you do that for forever, and you do it faithfully, when, we're, when our eyes closes, we will find ourselves in eternity with Jesus. You know, we have, we have loved ones, brothers and sisters, mothers and daughters, whoever it may be. I don't know if you have, if you has have, if we have had the privilege soon, rather sooner, to have, have to have somebody that we walked, mentored, and brought them to Jesus, because this relationship, this invitation from Andrew to Simon, we have no idea what kind of lifestyle Simon was living. We can assume certain things, but we have no idea. All we know was that Andrew went out of his way to talk about the importance that he had found the Messiah, and in this particular invitation, let Simon to Jesus. And that life was, was internally, was forever changed for the better. Now the Bible says, and I love this, that Jesus looks straight into Simon's eyes. He goes, hey, I know you. I know you're Simon. I know your dad is John. I know everything about you. And this was the first time he had experienced Jesus and the flesh. 
I think sometimes we as Christians, or maybe this is your first time, we put way too much value in knowing Jesus for a long time that we push away the calling that God has placed in your life. Because up until this point, all we know is that Simon made Jesus for the first time. And then Jesus looks him in the eye and goes, from now, this point on, you will no longer be Simon, but now you will be Peter. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what that means. If you go to Luke chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not be able to have power over my church. At this point, Simon was simply a fisherman, and I'm not demeaning this. He was, that was his job. That was his career. That is what he was waking up every morning to do. He was going out to the sea and fishing for fish. And when he, when he had this beautiful encounter with Jesus, just one little thing changed. He was still using Peter's skill set. He was still using Peter's career, more or less. And all he was asking him to do was keep fishing. But now instead of fishing for fish... I want you to be this rock, the foundation of the church, because one day, Peter, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to die and resurrect, and I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to leave you behind, and you're going to be my church, and nothing, not the powers of a nothing will rise against you, because I'm going to be with you. So from now on, Peter, you will not be Simon, someone who fishes for fish. But because we have this divine encounter, and, and, and our lives change together, your life will be changed a little bit, and from this point forward, you will be the rock the church that I'm going to build, and you're going to be fishing for humanity, bringing them to me. That was his purpose at this point. So then we get to this particular point in the Bible, and because I don't want to be here forever and keep you here forever. And we, I think as a teaching team, we've done a fantastic job talking about the Last Supper. And the Last Supper, a lot of crazy things happened. One of which this was the last time that Jesus was going to be hanging out with his 12 closest friends. And as he was hanging out with them, he finishes sort of with this, So in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. Now, in other words, because you're associated with me, people are going to hate you. Because you're associated with me, people are going to push you away. In fact, people will persecute you. Knowing me, it's not going to be a good thing. In fact, all of you, Jesus said, all of you will denounce me and you will all walk away. And I love Peter's response because I think if we were honest, all of us would be responding the same way Peter did at this particular moment. He looks at Jesus in verse 33 and he says, Peter replied, even if everyone else, Lord, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And can I be honest? I feel like most of us will respond this way because up until this point, Peter has seen Jesus prove to him and everyone else that he was truly the son of God. Up until this point, he, Peter, has seen Jesus multiply this little fish, multiply this loaf, and feed the thousands. Up until this point, Peter has seen Jesus go over Lazarus, who had been dead for a couple of days, and then come up and say, hey man, stand up and walk away. He has seen Jesus heal the crippled. He has seen Jesus heal the blind. He has seen Jesus do so many miraculous things. Like, why wouldn't Peter say, Lord, what are you talking about? I know you're just telling us that all of us are going to walk away. I know that's what you're saying. I know that's what you're thinking. Maybe that may be true. But, Lord, I just want you to know that that ain't going to be me. And I think for the most of us, you know, for those of us who've been walking this life with the Lord, we, we know that God exists. We know that Jesus is real. and We believe that he is the truth, the life, and the way. And we do everything we can possibly do to honor God in our daily lives to the best of our abilities. So if Jesus looks at me and goes, hey, man, in about, in about a month from now, you're going to walk away from me. 
because knowing me is not going to be a good thing. You know, your family may not like you around anymore because you talk about Jesus too much. Or your friends that you used to hang out with, man, they may, maybe they're not going to hang out with you. And there's going to come a moment, Raphael, where you're going to look at me and go, Jesus, I don't think it's worth following you. But I know deep down right now you believe you would always follow me. And this is Peter. And so then Jesus responds like, look, Peter, I, <laughs> this is me, you know, reading between those. I love you, brother. But you just know that by the night is over, there's going to be a rooster. He's going to sing a song, and you would have denied me three times. And so we get to this point now in Luke chapter 25, nope, 22, verse 54 and 62, and it says, So they arrested him, meaning Jesus, and they led him to the high priest's home. And then Peter followed at a distance. I love this. Peter is following the chaos unfolding right in front of his eyes. He is seeing the drama. He is seeing the pain. He is seeing the embarrassment that people are putting Jesus into. So he's walking and following the crowd on the way to Jesus' crucifixion. And in verse 55 says, the the guards guards, (laughs) lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. He was so afraid of a child. So afraid of saying that I was associated with Jesus in this particular moment. As we read on to 58, it says, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, verse 61, because I want to spend a little time on this. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I just want you to put yourself in Peter's perspective today. Because as, as, as I practiced this message, the word that kept coming into my mouth the, or into my mind was the word benefit. And I don't like it, but I'm going to say it to you anyways. We have the benefit today to sin purposely, accidentally, or a combination of both. Whether having Jesus physically look at us when we fail. And I don't know if any of you inside this place have parents with super high expectations. But you know the feeling when you did not meet those expectations and you can see them looking at you, and you will much rather have them, you know, curse you out, ground you, we're told to be grounded, but, you know, in our particular place, than for them to be disappointed. I could just imagine Peter looking at Jesus, and Jesus looking at Peter, I'm like, dang it. I know better. Like, dang it. Lord, you changed my name to Peter, and I know you want me to fish for humanity, but I couldn't even stand up to three people and letting them know that I know you. So what did, what did he do? Well, I'll tell you what he did. And by that, meaning Peter. We go to John 21, verse 1 and 3. At this point, Jesus has died, resurrected. And now he's going around appearing to different people. And at this time, he appears to them. And it says, after this, Jesus again showed himself to his followers at the lake of Tiberias. It happened like this. Simon Peter and Thomas, who was called the twin, and at the annual from the town of Cana in the country of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other followers were all together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing, the other said. We will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught no fish. So what did Peter do? Peter went back to who he was. 
before he had encounter with Jesus. And I really want you to capture this. Because fishing in and of itself is not a sin. Just like teaching is not a sin. Just like being a lawyer is not a sin. And whatever career path you've taken, in and of itself, it's great. You're providing for your family. You're establishing your family. But specifically to Peter, that's not what God told him to do. He didn't tell him to go back to fishing fish. His calling at this point was to be the rock, the foundation, the leader, the pastor, that Jesus needed him to be at Jesus' darkest moment. And so as we read on, I love this. In verse 5, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? No, they said. Put your net over to the right side of the boat. Then you will catch some fish. They put on the net, and they were not able to pull it because it was so full of fish. And then the Bible says that they go back to the shore, and they begin to break bread. And they begin to eat the fish that they caught. Now, here's the key question that I want you to consider because I don't have a whole lot left here before the message is over. So Jesus sits down with Simon, Peter, and he says in verse 15, when they were finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, he goes back to the first thing he did. Hey, I know you're Simon. I know you're the son of John. Now listen to this question. Do you love me? more than these. What is Jesus comparing his love to? He's literally saying, hey, Peter, here are these fish. Do you love me more than these? And I know that oftentimes, and I I hope because I really want to be sensitive to what I'm about to say next. Because if you grew up in a church like I grew up, it was God, church, family. Which meant that if there was birthdays, it was church first. Like if there was an anniversary coming and you had to go to camp meeting that for us meant all the pastors got together, you did that. I miss countless of birthdays for my sister who's sitting on the left over here. I miss countless of birthdays of my brother when I was in my 20s. Because it was God, church, family. But I also think that it's very easy for some of us to say, man, you know what? I know God is calling me to be a worship team, but I just want to stay home and just be mom. You know what? I know God is pulling my heart, and I know the children's ministry need help, but I'm just going to stay home and just be dad. For a long time in our season, God specifically told us to stop and quit and be parents, and we did that. In our season, God is asking us to do different things now. Things like preach, Things like be pastors, things like being things doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm neglecting my fatherhood. I'm neglecting my spouse. It just means that as I'm walking with the Lord, my name keeps changing. My, my, my ministry keeps changing. So here's the question for you, church. And God, Jesus is asking you this today. Do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know what these means to you. But I really, truly want you to ponder that. Because again, for Peter, he went back to fishing for fish. And we will all agree that that ain't no sin. 
But the fact that he was doing something that Jesus specifically told him he was not going to do anymore, that's where we can start considering the sin sentence in our lives. So as I close today, there are three questions up there. Are you living up to the name that God has is giving you? What is God asking you to do today? And then the question is going to be, do you love me more than these? Number two, have you failed yet? Because it's a matter of time before you do. If so, have you gotten up? Or have you gone back to who you used to be? Lastly, question mark, answer your name. Do you love me more than these? Lord, I just want to say thank you today, Lord, for the awesome opportunity you have given us, Father, to just preach your word. Lord, we don't take these moments lightly, Lord. We, we understand, Father, that this comes with a heavy responsibility, which is why, Lord, sometimes I don't even want to come up here and do it. But Lord, for those who are watching online, Lord, or for those who are listening on delay, whether it's on a podcast, on a walk, on a run, Lord, you have given us all very specific callings, Lord Jesus. And it's so easy, Father, to put up different types of excuses like parenting, work, whatever it may be. And Lord, I don't want to bring any sense of condemnation. I don't want to bring any sense of shame, Lord. I just want us to be challenged. Lord, let us be like Andrew. Allow us to be like Angela, God, in the sense that we are so excited to talk about you that we're going to go home, Lord, not be annoying about it, not be rebuctious about it, Lord, but genuinely talk about the things that you're doing in our lives. Because, Father, honestly, we want to spend eternity with the people that we love. And we want to spend it with you. But, Lord, we're also in Tustin. And there are people out here in Tustin, Lord Jesus, who need you where their names need to be changed because their names are associated to things that they're not proud of, Lord. And Lord, we believe, Father, that if they have an encounter with you, their name, their pastor, Jesus, will not interfere with the things that you're going to do with them moving forward. So Lord, I pray that we can be a church full of Andrews that are willing to talk about you and how you came and saved our hearts and our marriages and our relationships so that others, Father, can come and have a divine encounter with you so that maybe, Lord Jesus, they will no longer be named Jacob, but maybe they will be in Israel. Maybe, Lord Jesus, you know, they may not be a Simon because Simon's father wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't an alcoholic. He was just doing regular, regular things, Lord, and you call them to do ministry. So Lord, I pray, Father, for just voice church in general, that we can be people that love you, people who listen well, and people, Father, who can legitimately say, Jesus, I love you more than these. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.